So Money Episode 284, Sandra Hanna. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, ahead of introducing today's wonderful guest, I have to quickly share with you the charity fundraiser and competition that's going to be going on all month here at So Money, the entire month of November, in tandem with a charity fundraiser forward slash competition going on with Joe Saul Sihai's podcast, Stacking Benjamins. And to tell us all about that, I brought on Joe. And Joe, here you go. What, take the mic. You, you invited me onto this little fundraiser of yours, and I'm I'm excited, but also a little nervous. Farnish, I'm way excited that we're doing this together. You know, uh, we can raise a bunch of money for charity. And I love this at the end of the year with Thanksgiving. For people in the United States, we end the month of November with uh, Thanksgiving. And I thought, what a great way for our community to help another community that might need it. So we are going to be raising money for the Texas 4000, which is a 4000 mile bike ride that University of Texas students take to raise money for cancer research and, and cancer-related causes. Uh, I know that they give a lot of money to MD Anderson Hospital, one of the premier uh, cancer treatment clinics in the United States in Houston, Texas. And then they also give it to worthwhile uh, research facilities around the nation. So we're going to be raising money at, at, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas 4000. And it's cool because our organization, Farnoosh, has a lot in terms of where the money goes, a lot in common with who you're raising money yes. for. Talk about that for a minute. Well, thank you. That was a nice transition. So uh, I have chosen, our team here at So Money has chosen the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, near and dear to my heart as well, because I was a part of this when I was in college. It's the Penn State IFC Panhellenic Dance Marathon. It's affectionately known as THON, and it's a year-long effort to raise money and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancer. It's raised over $125 million for the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Children's Hospital. And next year's THON 2016 is what we are fundraising for now. And that will be taking place February 19th through the 21st. It's a 46-hour dance marathon. I did it and I survived. It was uh, life-altering. But of course, it's for an amazing, tremendous and important cause. Thon.org forward slash so money. Thon.org forward slash so money is where you can go to contribute. I know it's high season for canning and this is a way to join in on the fun. Anything you can do, know that it will be well spent. Over 95% of funds go to the families. That's so great. And the rider that we're riding for, uh, who's riding in the Texas 4000, her name is Shelby Schreiber. Her father was a single dad raising her Farnoosh. And when she was in high school, he started feeling bad, went to the doctor. It turned out he had terminal cancer and he passed away when she was just in high school. Hmm. So here she is without a dad. And now she decided she's going to ride this 4,000 mile bike ride in honor of him. And they spend no money on the bike ride. Uh, All the food along the way, all the housing along the way is donated. So I love these organizations, but stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas four zero zero zero. And, and I hope together we can raise a lot of money. I think we will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 
Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode of So Money. We've got a great guest today. She is one of the five co-founders and CEO of Smart Cookies. It's a movement helping thousands of people become debt-free. Her name is Sandra Hanna, and she claims she was a complete financial disaster just before launching Smart Cookies. But with the group, she was able to become debt-free and live a life she only dreamed of once upon a time. Now on the Smart Cookies team, Sandra brings sales and PR expertise. She's worked previously in public relations. A little bit more about the company, Smart Cookies has been featured in top news outlets, including The Today Show, New York Times, ABC, Oprah, among many others. The company started with just five women and is now helping over 50,000 people. The site, smartcookies.com, offers real tips, inspiration, and advice for how to get out of debt without using all of the personal finance jargon. Sandra has co-authored two best-selling books, including The Smart Cookies Guide to Making More Dough and The Smart Cookie Guide to Couples and Money. She also hosted the TV show, The Smart Cookies TV Show on OWN Network in Canada. Lots of takeaways from our interview with Sandra, including how sharing our salaries with each other can be extremely helpful. This was actually something that she benefited from as being a member of the Smart Cookies group. How the Smart Cookies landed on Oprah. I want to know, what were the details of that experience? They talk about the email they sent to the show's team that landed them on the show. And Sandra's number one advice for couples as they navigate their finances together, even if they're not on the same page. Here is Sandra Hanna. Sandra Hanna, welcome to So Money, my official smart cookie here on the show. So excited to have you. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I have been following the Smart Cookies ever since I think I saw you and the group because originally there were uh, five of you on Oprah. Yes. And yeah. But before Oprah, and I want to talk about Oprah, you really are an example, an inspiration of how when friends come together to help each other with their finances and to help each mm-hmm. other in your cases with debt and earning more, that it can just take on a life of its own. Not only can it become solved <laughs> through the help of yes, account- yeah. friendships, accountability, but talk about just how this became a movement, the smart cookies movement. But take me back to your living rooms in Canada with your five yeah. girlfriends. Where, how did you all come together? How did that dynamic work? Um, share, share a little mm-hmm. bit about that time in your, in your chapter in your life with us. Yeah. So at that chapter, you know, five of us came together and some of us worked together and we were colleagues, but a couple others didn't really know each other before the group formed. So the whole reason we came together was um, a girlfriend of mine, Andrea, and she's one of the founding members came to work one day and Andrea is the epitome of, you know, that girl who always has it together and you're always oh, look yeah. at her go, honestly, how, yeah, right. How do you do it? Like <laughs> perfect outfit, perfect apartment. She had this great job. And anyway, she came into work one day and she came up to Katie and I, and she said, Hey, you know, I noticed Oprah was doing is when Oprah was doing her debt diet series. Um, and, and she came up to us and said, you know, I don't know, like, I think I want to maybe go through the process and just, you know, I've been setting some financial goals for myself. And would you like to sit down and do it as a group? And my first initial thought was, Andrea debt? Like I couldn't even put it together. And the fact that she was actually open, actually asking us to be part of this group. Um, 
I thought was amazing, but I couldn't quite piece together. I mean, the, what I pictured at the time of a woman in debt wasn't what Andrea looked like, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but anyway, the funny thing was, is that my girlfriend, Angela and I had just that weekend, we literally went to the bookstore and I think bought every personal finance book on the shelf. We bought everyone that David Bach had written, everyone that Gene Chatsky had written. And we sat down and we leafed through all of them. And we just were both sort of banging our heads against the wall that, um, the books were great, but we were so hungry for, um, just information that was really relatable to us in our lives as young professionals, um, really trying to, um, to create wealth in our life and to create investments and to really build, um, that personal finance picture for ourselves. So anyway, it was very um, serendipitous how these conversations all started happening. And so um, long story short, we ended up the five of us. Um, so it was Katie and Robin. We had never met. She was a friend of Andrea's and we all had different um, situations. So Robin was recently divorced. Um, Katie was the only one who was married at the time um, or was engaged. She was, she was going to be married. Um, and so we all kind of came from different a little bit different backgrounds, but kind of a similar mindset. We were very um, career oriented and goal oriented, but we just couldn't get it together when it came to our money. So we literally in that first meeting um, were very honest with each other. And um, I think it was Andrea who went first and she had a situation that was, she had creditors calling her at work. It was so bad that she um, had a work trip coming up and, you know, her boss said, as you do, you know, just put your hotel on your credit card, Andrea, and we'll expect, we'll reimburse you for it. And she couldn't do it. She didn't have enough room on her credit card. So, um, there was that situation. And so we all really came together and set ourselves, um, goals. We set yearly goals and then we broke it down week by week. So we decided we were going to meet every week. We were going to come to the table and check in with each other on our goals, um, and reassess and help each other and support each other. And we did that. We started doing it every single week and we really became like sisters in the process because really, you know, having those conversation about money is, is a hard thing to do, but, but well, we were able to do it. Yeah. What was specifically your agenda in being in this group yeah. and how, quickly did you accomplish it? Sure. So for me, I had a little bit of credit card debt. Um, my biggest goal was I just wanted to learn about, I didn't have any, um, in Canada, they're called RSPs, which is the equivalent of our 401k here in the States. Um, I didn't have any investments. And so for me, it was really, it was tackling the credit card debt. So, um, I had about $5,000 in credit card debt. So that was priority number one. And then it was saving. I really wanted a down payment, um, to put down on my own place and living in Vancouver at the time, the Vancouver real estate market market is bananas. So, um, I just really wanted to understand that. So for me, and the other thing was I wanted to increase my earnings. So this is really interesting. So three of us, I mentioned worked at the same company. So, and we literally shared everything. So we shared how much we were making, what our salaries were. Um, so it was <laughs> interesting to have that information and then go into meetings, um, with my boss at the time. And for me being sort of young and just not having that voice yet, when it came to really understanding, um, what I deserve to be making, having those conversations was the biggest, um, that's where I would say I probably got the 
biggest benefit from being part of the group. I mean, I was literally coached on, you know, what to say and, um, and how to frame those conversations, which is so powerful. I'm so glad I had that so early on in my career. Do you recommend that women share their salaries with one another? I mean, I was just on Fox News last week, talk, quote unquote, debating the gender wage gap, because believe it or not, there are actually other women out there who think it doesn't exist. (laughs) Um, Anyway, but uh, <laughs> one of the one proposal out there is that, you know, we should be more transparent about how much we make, which I think would be scary yeah. for some people to share. But in your case, yeah. it was instrumental. Is this something sure. that you actually advocate for? It is. I think it's really empowering. I think there's a... Um, there's a gentle way to do it, right? It doesn't have to be this, you know, forceful, hey, what are you making? Share with me what you're making. There's a sort of, I guess, polite way to have those conversations. Um, But I think the more that we can do that in a safe environment as women is very empowering. And why not have those conversations? I think there's more to gain, especially from women in having that transparency um, than there is to lose. But I think it's getting over that hurdle and having um, women as examples. And I was so lucky to have that um, at, at a fairly young age. But I think even at higher levels, you know, why not have that transparency? Transparency. I think mm-hmm. it's very empowering to women. I think Bradley Cooper just said he's going to start sharing his salaries with his female co-stars so they can know where they stand and maybe they have to, yeah. you know, ask for more as a result to really level the playing field. I think we need more men yeah. to be transparent as well. So, wow. OK, that's a great tip. I, you know, I've heard it, but now you really cemented that for me, that this is something that really we should campaign for. Yeah, information. <laughs> information is power, right? And to Bradley Cooper's point, you know, it's hard to go into a negotiation guessing what other people are making. So if you have that hard information, then that's, you know, puts the power back in your hands. So I think that that's fantastic. Now, before we got on the podcast, you'd mentioned that you got lucky and that Oprah discovered you, but tell us really how that happened. Tell us like exactly the phone call, the sequence of events. Yeah. Because I'm really, totally. It's such- I want to geek out on the Oprah yeah. thing. <laughs> so, um, it really is. And looking back, it's, and I have a little girl now and the main lesson that I want to teach her is, you know, don't just, if you have an idea for something, just do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. So I'll tell you with that in mind, how the Oprah thing all came to fruition. So we, um, literally Katie was on Oprah's website one day and she was doing a call out for debt diet success stories. And she shot an email off to Oprah. Um, and we have it to this day and it had spelling mistakes and there was like zero thought put into it. It was literally like, Hey, we have a debt diet success story. We have this group of girls. We've formed this incredible friendship. We've paid off tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt. We did, this is what we did to do that was critical. We included, um, real meat in the email. So Katie said, Hey, we paid up this much of debt. We increased our salaries by this much. Um, but for us, the biggest gift has really been these friendships that we formed, um, around all things money and, uh, and shot an email off and it ended up in the right hands of a producer who called us. And so she asked for information. And so we immediately (laughs) sent her everything she was asking for, um, photos, just everything, um, we could pull together. We did. Um, and, and so that's how it all came to, to pass. And so the producer, um, who we're still very close friends with to this day and is a huge mentor for us, flew down to Vancouver and shot with us in Vancouver. And then we were able to, um, fly out to Chicago and we're on the show with, to us, I mean, obviously 
Oprah was amazing, but for us, we were such, you know, personal finance nerds too. We were on with David Bach and Gene Chatsky, which for us was <laughs> super exciting too. Oh my gosh. So it, yeah, it was really fun. What was the immediate uh, effect of, what was the Oprah effect for you guys, for you gals, I should say? Sure. So for us, and we weren't, um, we were still, you know, not even a business. So we literally put up a website in between the taping and it going live. But for us, the biggest thing was meeting Jean. Um, she took us on because she has her, um, Oprah radio show, took us onto her show afterwards and introduced and said on air, you know, you girls have to write a book. And so we, um, synced up with her literary agent and within, you know, months were, you know, touring around every, um, publisher in New York city and, you know, our lives just turned upside down in the, just the best way. And to do that with like five of your closest girlfriends, you know, as young women was just so amazing. And so we had a, and then we had a TV show that aired for two seasons in Canada, um, and in the U S as well. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a dream come true. <laughs> it was awesome. So see, even with incorrect spelling, you were able to yes. get the attention of the powers that be. And now yeah. fast forward to 2015. This was back in 2008, right? 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. 2009. Fast forward yeah. now, you're holding down the fort. Um, yes. Many of your co- cookies have gone on to, um, you know, master their lives in other ways. The site has allowed you to maintain your connection to your community. How is the, how has smart cookies transformed? Where is it today? And what's the mission? Yeah, it really has become when I look back over the years and yeah, it was so fun. But when I look now at the community and the movement, it really belongs in the hands of our community now, which thank goodness, you know, we've sort of, it's funny, the smart cookie, I guess, from Oprah to now is sort of when Facebook and Twitter and social media became so prevalent too. So having that, um, being able to keep our community together, Together, and it really is the movement now is continuing those conversations um, around money, um, connecting women with if they want an accountability partner, if they want, we really, it's kind of like, I'd like to think of it as like Weight Watchers for personal finance. <laughs> you can do it on your own if you want to, but it's way more fun to do it as a group and also more effective sometimes. So um, that's what the, that's what our online community has become. And it's a great way for, um, you know, it's great for my, I love being the sort of the leader and and um, sort of taking the reins of smart cookies, but having the online is a great way for, you know, the other co-founders when they want to, to check in with the community and to be present there too. So it's just become this beautiful way for us all to keep in touch with each other and to keep each other inspired. And what started with five of us is really become hundreds of thousands of people. And wow. that, that's something I'm, I'm very, very proud of. When we think of Canada, in sort of mm-hmm. this like financial landscape, we think of it as the grass being greener because mm-hmm. you have so many great social programs there. Healthcare yeah. is provided. Education is very subsidized. Um, mm-hmm. What are, but what are the financial pain points that many Canadians still face? Is it that yeah. much different than it is here in the U S where we have people struggling with student loans and credit card debt and, you know, looking more recently into the financial crisis, foreclosures, bankruptcies, job loss. What are the prevalent financial issues in Canada? Sure. I mean, it's 
It's interesting you say that, Farnoosh, because I really do think no matter what the situation is, there's always going to be those pain points. Um, So in Canada, debt is certainly something, and it's consumer debt, a lot of it, and student debt to some extent as well, um, is a huge is a huge pain point um, for Canadians. So um, really getting tackling that and and understanding how to how to save and how to pay yourself first. You know, that's something we talk about all the time, but it's way easier said than actually implemented. Um, and in Canada, you know, there, we are so fortunate is that there, there are a lot of government programs and, um, you're incentivized to save, um, on many different levels, but the actual practice of, and, you know, depending on where you live coming in Vancouver, um, the cost of living is astronomical. I mean, to have a starter home in Vancouver, you're looking sometimes at a million dollars. So it's, um, you you know, having the money and having the means to create a life just starting out for yourself is is very much a struggle for for a lot of individuals and families in Canada. Let's shift over to some so many questions. My so smart cookies questions. Yeah. Okay. Your financial philosophy, Sandra. What is it? Yeah. Your money mantra. <sighs> That's a great question. I think honesty and transparency is the boldest move when you can, you can make when it comes to your finance. And I mean that in being honest with yourself about your financial picture, being honest with others about your financial picture. I think the more we can do that with ourselves and with others, um, you know, the tide definitely rises (laughs) when we can be honest and be transparent. You, uh, your book, Smart Cookies, then has, it it evolved into a second book about, yep, relationships, right? Couples. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's your biggest advice for along? Maybe, maybe it's about transparency and honesty, but when you're in a relationship and there might not be a level playing field when it comes to money, your partner might not have the best credit score or make as Mm -hmm. much or have, has debt. You don't, how do you, how do you reconcile that in the relationship? You know, I think there's, Lots of advice you can give about give, getting down to the, you know, nitty gritty. And does one partner, if they're making money, you know, pay off the other partner's debt, if that's the case. But I think for me, and the biggest thing that I've seen in my personal relationships and also just in our community is getting on the same page first and foremost with your goals as a couple. So I'm not saying forget the past, but it'll be easier to deal with where you are and maybe some past indiscretions um, when it comes to money if you're clear on where you want to go together, because then it makes, you know, because you can't work on those things. You can't get clear about those things unless you, you know, sit down with, you know, maybe it's on your own at first and then maybe with a financial planner, but those conversations can be really stressful and we carry a lot of like baggage and like weirdness sometimes around that. So I think having the sort of fun conversation first about, Hey, what's our financial plan growing forward? What are we excited about? Are we going to be building our dream home together? Are we excited about having our future children go off to college and getting excited about that and then working backwards, I think is a much more empowering starting point than dealing with right away all of the nitty gritty that that can come with, you know, having those initial conversations when you're in a couple and talking about money. It's a tricky thing. Yeah, I agree. You're both excited about a goal and you agree to achieving this goal together. And so it's a little easier perhaps to work backwards and you're motivated now. So that's always helpful. Yes, I think that's the key for sure. So being a member of Smart Cookies, you're able to eradicate debt, you're able to increase your income. What would you say was your number one money moment to date? Your so money moment, Sandra. Oh, my so money moment. You know, being able to buy my first home um, 
was incredible for me. And I since, so I, I do live in the U S now I live in, in Denver. And so my husband and I, when, um, when I moved here, um, bought our first home. And a lot of that was with the down payment that I had been, you know, saving for thank, thankfully because of, you know, what the smart cookies had taught me. So having that moment and being able to contribute, um, as a couple felt fantastic, but, you know, having that home and having it in my name was such a proud moment for me. And and I'll never forget that. When you made the transition from Canada to the U.S. financially, mm-hmm. was it, were there any loop hurdles at all just yeah. based on how things get run here versus in Canada? Yeah. So I like your credit building, score. <laughs> yep. I did build, I mean, I had zero credit score. Um, nothing that you do in Canada transfers over, um, which is kind of maddening. <laughs> so really starting from scratch from zero there. So it was, you know, a process of, and this is so opposite of what, you know, I would necessarily teach in smart cookies, but several people told me that one of the easiest things um, to do initially is to get a store credit card. So, you know, I had my banana Republic card and my gap card, and of course paid those suckers off. Like it was nobody's business because the interest rates were so high, but slowly started building my credit back up. Put when I bought my car, put the car in my name. Um, but really, starting from scratch and building a credit was was an interesting, um, an interesting process. So it definitely took how long have I been here now? Five years to get it in a spot where, um, where it was in in Canada. So Five that was years. interesting. Wow, <laughs> but a good thing to go through. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a question that I often get too: is how do I build credit? I'm new to the country. I'm responsible, but it's like I need credit to get credit. So they feel yeah. this sort of this catch 22. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say was your biggest failure financially? I mean, you came to Smart Cookies with some to do's. Yeah. And so you probably had some, um, some maybe things you can stem that stem from that period in your life. But even mm-hmm. maybe even more recently, have you messed up? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mess up all the time. I think, you know, what happens is, and I was talking with the girls last time I was in Canada and with the other smart cookies. And I said, you know, those months you just, you know, lift the reins a little bit. You know what I mean? You take some of the, not the pressure off, but you know, I'm fairly, you know, I make my spending plan and, um, I'm very conscious about how I spend my money, but once in a while, and I usually find it at a month, I'm like, okay, you know, I I feel comfortable this month. I need to buy some things. So I'm just going to relieve a little bit of the pressure on myself. And then next thing you know, I look at my, you know, add everything up at the end of the month and it's, you know, sometimes going to add up to thousands of dollars more than I intended to spend. And that's where I kind of check in with myself. And that's where the sort of money group, I take myself back and I'm like, okay, (laughs) it's time to, so I think there's something, you know, there's a, mental check, um, in terms of, you know, not necessarily, I think if you deprive yourself too much, it's like anything, if you deprive yourself too much on a diet, you're going to binge, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think with money, I've really learned that lesson. And even now, um, with kids too, I feel that too. I'm like, Oh, we don't need to buy anything. We're just not going to buy anything. And we're going to buy everything used. And then I end up, you know, completely going off the track one month. So, um, I've really given myself, permission to just sort of keep a steady flow (laughs) and not be too hard on myself because then I end up that when I'm hardest on myself is when I end up making the biggest mistakes. Yeah. And I, I so am with you on that, giving yourself permission because, um, I, for one, cannot stick to a diet of only vegetables or protein. (laughs) You need to give yourself that allowance. What is speaking of giving permission? That's a really good Mm -hmm. habit. What is your number one money habit, Sandra, that helps you manage your money wisely, even though you sometimes you have bad credit card bill months, but you know, overall, like your overarching habit that maybe also is a smart cookie tip? Yeah. 
Um, lately, and I've found this to be really powerful is trying my hardest to only spend on things that I really love. Um, and even when it comes to, you know, your service providers, like your phone company and your lawyer, things like that, it's really working with people who make it fun and feel really good to work with them. So, and what I mean by that is it makes it I don't know. I just feel like you spend less money in the long run if you're really spending on things and whether it's building a home. So, you know, we're investing in furniture. So that's one thing where I'm like, okay, I would rather save the money and buy something I really love than just, and, and some of the rooms may sit without furniture in them until we can save up and afford to buy the furniture that we really love. Um, and, and I think using that as my filter for wherever I put my money has become a really powerful tool in, in the long run, I actually spend less money, the more intention and the more purpose I put into those purchases. How do you save your money, Sandra? Like, where do you keep it? People wonder, ask me all the time, is there a place where I can put my money that's not going to you know, lose out to inflation? I'm like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We have um, most of our savings account and right now is in um, an American Express savings account that earns, you know, an okay, um, you know, savings return rate. Um, and we're actually in the middle right now, sort of re-diversifying our, because um, we just sold our home. So we're in one of those things where we literally are sitting on a pile of cash. So it's a really interesting. For, and for the first time, you know, really looking at, okay, where do we need to diversify and put that money? Um, so for right now, the bulk of it is just in sort of a, you know, it's earning a little bit of interest, but I think we're just at the point where we really want to understand and feel really good about, um, but where we put our money to, to have it. Yeah. So you're in that, um, serve our goals as a family. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're in that brainstorming phase. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a great phase to be in. And that's where the learning happens too, as opposed to just, you know, making a decision on a whim. So we're, we're trying to be very conscious about it. All right, let's do some so many fill in the blank, Sandra, starting with if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say someone handed you $100 million. The first thing I would do is honestly, I've always said this, make an appointment with the best financial advisor I could get my hands on. (laughs) What does that mean? Best financial advisor? What do you look for in a financial advisor? Yeah, I think someone who looks holistically at the whole picture, very much a long-term, very much value driven. Um, so one of the things I would look for is someone who would ask even before they want to chat about the numbers is what's important to you as a family? What are your values? What are your goals? And then let's talk numbers. Yeah. They're not hitting you with Excel spreadsheets and uh, year over year returns on all their investments. Yeah. No, I've yeah, been in those to- meetings. They're disgusting. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, <laughs> it's disgusting. And especially, you know, with, a, you know, a, you know, lottery winnings. I mean, that to me, you know, if you do that right, you know, you obviously, you know, you're your life, but you know, there's horror stories too of people who win lottery and yes. then, you know, a couple of years later, it's all gone. So I think that's just a super powerful. Um, and then of course, you know, we'd all hop on a plane to Hawaii and of course, sit, yeah, sit a few times, <laughs> a few destinations, hopefully. Yeah, totally. The one thing I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is uh, child care, 100%. Yeah. yeah. How many kids do you have? Two. Um, so Jack is three and Violet is a year and a half. So um, we have Jack in preschool and then actually my little one's right outside the door right now with her babysitter. So <laughs> oh. that is... So a year and a half everybody. apart. You are busy. Yeah. Yeah. We're busy. Three we're years. busy, but it's... Yeah. It's good. 
My biggest splurge that I spend a lot of money on, but I wouldn't have it any other way is oh, my hair. I just feel so, especially as a mom, I'm like, I just, mama needs a hair done. Oh, your hair. Yeah. 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 I've been recently splurging on blowouts for my hair because yes. I've discovered that with my moving and I've got so much on my plate with work and family yeah. that I don't have time to like, I can't even have time to shower, let alone exactly. dry my own hair and make it presentable. No, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. So I spend the money to go out and once in a while get my hair blown out and I just feel like a million yeah. bucks and That's you know what? It. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. One, it. <laughs> one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up. We didn't get to talk too much about your childhood. I often like to ask guests about their money experiences growing up. So maybe now you can share with us a quick story or a reference to your childhood when it comes sure. to money and what you learned or what you wish yeah. you had learned. Sure. And my parents were excellent in the sense that they were very much, you know, don't, um, you know, I got my first credit card in college and it was very much a, like, this is for emergencies, pay it off. Um, and my dad, you know, had a retirement account and he retired a few years ago and like through compound interest, you know, had made millions of dollars. And so he was able to have, he's able to have a very, very comfortable and inspiring retirement really. So those lessons were there, but for me, I was just a spender. I mean, when I had money, I would spend it down to the very last dollar. I mean, that's what I equated it to. Whereas my brother was so opposite. I mean, he had a savings bond by the time he was six years old. So he's been saving since he was six. So for me, I just, I wish I had understood at an earlier age, the power of savings and delayed gratification and whether you can teach that to a kid or not, I don't know. Um, but, but now I see that lesson is just so, so powerful. And, you know, I have learned that over the years, um, that, you know, the bigger picture is much more valuable than the short-term gratification. Um, but as a kid, I wish I'd learned that earlier for sure. That's interesting to learn the difference between your brother and you. Yeah. Was it, and looking now as an adult into you know, your brother's personality, the way he handles his money, is it, could you see that? Could you have foreshadowed that given how oh, he yeah. behaved as a kid? Mm-hmm. Oh, and for sure. Why do you think he was so into it and you weren't? I think it was just different personality traits. He's very much, you know, he, he's more cautious and more, I guess, even keeled, I would say. Um, whereas I've always been, I'm very entrepreneurial spirited. I just always have been. Um, I, I am comfortable taking on more risk. Um, but he is, you know, he always saved his money, had a savings bond, went to college, got you know, a job where he has, you know, it's a great job. He's a computer scientist for a great company. He's a programmer. Um, so he's very smart and, you know, he's got his savings and his company matches his, um, his retirement savings. So he's just in a good square little spot and happy as can be, whether, you know, and and my personality, I think is just different than that. And like you say, you know, we grew up in the same home, you know, same values. And I think it was just differences in in who we are. And, you know, in the end, (laughs) we both ended up, you know, in a good financial spot, but definitely took different paths to get there. Yeah. It just, it's, Again, it's a great example of like, you don't have to be this type A no. you know, budget nerd to be financially successful. You can take exactly. risks. Yeah, you can you can have successes and failures. But in the end, it, you know, at the end, you end up being yeah. financially empowered still. All right. Let's talk about charity. When I donate, I like to give to blank because. Mm, um, children's charity. 
always, always get me, especially now as a mom. Um, so we give a lot of our time and money um, to children's hospitals actually all across Canada and the U.S. And that's what feels really, really good to us to be able to give back in that way. That's wonderful. Okay. And last but not least, I'm Sandra Hanna. I'm so money because... Oh, I'm so money because I love talking openly about finances with anybody who will have that conversation with me. And I love that you share salary. That's yeah. <laughs> that's really going there. That's really going there. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us. Sandra Hanna, co-founder and CEO of Smart Cookies, smartcookies.com. Pleasure to have you. It was so fun to be with you today, Farnish. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to my guest, Sandra Hanna. If you'd like to learn more about her and the Smart Cookies, the website is smartcookies.com. They're also on Twitter at Smart Cookies. All this information and more over at somoneypodcast.com, where you can grab the transcript and the comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And if you'd like to connect with me, send me your question, perhaps, for the Friday episode, Ask Farnoosh episode. Click on Ask Farnoosh while you're at somoneypodcast.com. A little window will pop up where you can submit your question for me. And every Friday, as I said, I turn the tables and answer your questions. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money.